You're listening to True Story, a night of true tales told to friends. Hey everyone, this is Kevin. Before this story, we want to give a quick thanks to our supporters on Patreon, with a special shout out to recent supporters Mark Henson and Carrie Hartman. Way to be, Mark and Carrie. You guys rock. It's listeners like you who make True Story possible. If you want to join Mark, Carrie, and so many other awesome folks, just go to truestorytime.org slash love. And as always, if you're interested in hosting a True Story party of your own, head to truestorytime.org slash join. All right, story time. It's a good one. The following story came to us from San Francisco, California, at an event where the theme was, We're Not in Kansas Anymore. When I was 16 or 17, I was freaking out about what I was going to do with my life, and I had this teacher who said to me, Joe, the knowns are finite. There's only so much that you can know and control and plan for, and the unknowns are infinite. And at some point in your life, the arc of your life will be governed by forces that you can't predict and you can't control and you really can't prepare for. What you need to focus on, instead of planning so much and worrying, is just keep your eyes open and look for opportunities and basically adapt. If you can have fun and be easily amused, the rest is gravy. You're going to have a good life. Fast forward to a couple years later, I had hit the road in an old Chevy Suburban that my godfather had loaned me. I was basically walking in the footsteps of the beats of Kerouac and on the road and like really seeking the West. I grew up in North Carolina and I, I took this long, I call it a drive-about, you know, you do the walkabout in Australia. And I was just on a drive-about. I had a little money saved up from odd jobs as a teenager and I was just spending and living and sleeping in the truck and seeing the West. And I was looking for, you know, I was looking for people that lived off the grid. I was looking to get as far away from society as I could, really. I, I didn't really want anything to do with the mechanizations that I saw in the modern world. And I wanted to, to find this, you know, some unseen part of the world, some like wild part of the world. And I, I wound up landing in this place called the Tridal Valley, which is about as far as I could get from anywhere and still be close enough to get a cheeseburger, which is, which is really important. Um, and it's about 50 miles north of Kingman, about 50 miles south of the Hoover Dam, right in the middle of nowhere. And you could see the mountains on the other side of Las Vegas from it. And it was just this vast sort of alluvial plain that was incredibly beautiful. And right in the middle of it was this old cafe called Rosie's Den at the Boulder Inn. And that place had been built at the time of the Hoover Dam um, to serve the guys building the Hoover Dam. And around Rosie's Den, there was this cluster of these desert rats that lived. And somehow I had landed at this swap meet run by this somewhat mentally unstable guy. Um, we'll call him Ray, methamphetamine addict, running a swap meet on land that he didn't own. Um, this guy had a Hammond B3 organ sitting at this swap meet by the side of Highway 93. It was just heartbreaking. It was like gathering dirt and rained on. Um, Real sketchball, but really fascinating. He used to rant at me about humans were the result of the interbreeding between aliens and apes and how the Chinese army was going to invade any time and he, I needed topographical maps to find my way back and all this stuff. But it was exciting, you know, I didn't give a shit. The rest of my friends were, you know, off at college and I was like, man, this is the Wild West. This is where I wanted to be. And the barter and trade economy out there and the people living, it was very interesting. A lot of old veterans, a lot of people who were trying to get as far away from uh, society as they could, like me. And we all sort of wound up clustered around this cafe. I say clustered, but it was miles. This valley was 15 miles on a side, maybe 20 or 40 miles long. Um, things went bad in the desert. And that sounds so cliche, but things went bad in the <laughs> desert, man. They went bad, bad. And... Um, I mean, I'll just give you a quick taste of it. There was, there was a guy, we'll, let's call him Jeff, and Jeff had 
killed the guy who had broken into his trailer and he had a wife and kids in there and he, he shot this kid and killed him and he went to jail for three years. I never met this man, but somebody had cut the lock on this guy's shed and his tools that all had his name on them wandered around the valley. And this guy was getting out in like a month. And so everybody's getting their tools together and they're going to put him back in the shed and put the lock back on. But Ray, the guy who owned this swap meet, he had a bunch of stuff that said Jeff, you know, and, and I was like, hey, man, you know, you got to get that. Stuff. He's like, oh, no, I traded for that. You know, I traded a buzzsaw for that or a whatever, you know, jackhammers. It was absurd, right? And so I, I sort of was in the middle of this because I was more or less than this guy's errand boy. You know, I was like hanging out and helping him out in order to get enough money to eat because I'd run out of money by that point. That's sort of an underlying current to this story is I'm stuck in the desert. So, um, so at one point I, I went to this guy's trailer. I was answered by a sawed-off shotgun and a very angry man. And this light went on that things are going bad in the desert. Things have gone bad. So I got in my truck and I drove south. And I just drove and drove and drove. And a bunch of other stuff had happened. Uh, the Grateful Dead had come through. And there was the wake of that was... I basically had a complete mental nervous breakdown and I'm 19 years old and I'm at the end of the road. I gave it my best shot. I tried to find something in the Wild West and I, I found more than I could handle and, uh, and I just wanted a bath, man, and I just wanted to sleep for a week. So I was headed to my uncle's house down 93, down in Tucson, and I was ready to land and just ready to give up and done with tweakers and desert rats and all the rest. <laughs> And what happened is I was going to take a different route to Tucson. I was going to go through Saguaro National Forest, and I, I took a wrong exit off the highway, and I wound up in a little town called Marana. And off to the right side of the road was this big top circus, and it was about 9 at night, and the sun had gone down, the sky was still a little bit dusky, and, uh, and this thing was lit up like a mirage, you know, and it was beautiful. And I never had seen anything quite like it because it was small. It was not like a giant big top, but it was, you know, a few hundred feet long. And I drove by it just thinking how beautiful it was. And I was like, man, I got to check it out. So I flipped around and I drove up and I, I walked up to the concession wagon and I asked him, um, I asked the guy, there's a big burly dude with tattoos. I was like, hey, how long are you going to be here? And he said, you want a job? And I said, no, I really don't want a job, man. I really am done with the sketchiness. I just, well, I want to see the circus, you know? He's like, well, we're tearing down the tent right now. He's like, we pay $10 an hour, help us tear down the tent. You know, tomorrow we're going to be in Tucson. You can come see the show for free. He's like, oh, 10 bucks an hour? You know, I hadn't seen cash, like I said, in a month or so. And then he starts working me. He's like, what are you, 18, 19? He's like, this is the ideal job for a young man like you. You see the country, you got cash money all the time, expenses are paid, you got a place to stay, you have no bills to pay. He's like, what are you living for now? He's like, what are you doing out here? And he, had, he totally had my number. And so I agreed at least to help them tear down the tent. And I was very dubious because he seems somewhat sketchy, but he did, you know, spit a good game. So tearing down that big top was like being swallowed by... Um, some crazy machine. It was like five minutes after the show ends. The, the lights are down. The sidewalls dropped. Guys are just filing in. There's these dudes loading poles, and I'm just like swept up in it, and this guy's hollering orders at me. Big Yogi Bear-looking guy with a ponytail, and he, he's, uh, he's given us three poles, and we're supposed to take them to the truck, and so I'm in line with all these guys, and I take my three poles to the truck, and I load them up, and I come back, and here's this guy coming at me full bore with like eight poles, and he's got this cigarette that's like all ember, and he goes, get out of the way, and I like duck down, and he goes over me, and I'm watching him, and he comes back, and his shirt says, exercise solves everything. And I was like, who is that? I said to somebody, and the guy, the guy goes, that's the owner. That's the owner of the whole circus. 
And so I was to come to know Red Johnson, the owner of the circus, and B.J. Hebert, and Lester Moore, and Jimmy Vaughn, and a whole cast of amazing characters, um, because I joined the show the next day in at Lulu Walker Elementary School. I saw them roundhousing sledgehammers, four guys in a circle driving the stakes into the ground. And I said, I want to learn how to do that. And over the course of the next six years, Culpepper and Merriweather Circus would go a different town every day for eight months with no days off. So 250 towns, 25 states. By the end of the week, I'd seen half of Arizona and we were into California. I called my parents from Black Canyon City and I was like, I joined a circus. And they... And, <laughs> And this is how traumatized my parents were. They were relieved that I joined a circus. You know, they hadn't heard from me in months. I'd been jumping trains in Mexico. I'd been living in caves in Reno. It was bad, you know. And, uh, and I went on to work um, several uh, jobs. I was a curtain guy. I sold Cokes. In addition to putting up the tent and taking it down every day, I was a property crew guy, which is changing all the aerial riggings and setting the stage for the acts. Um, it was a little one-ring show, so everything happens in the same place. And, and then for one year, I was the boss of that crew, which was tremendously stressful. And then the last three years on the show, I was a show drummer in the live band that accompanied performances. And so all this is, is from a wrong exit off a highway. This idea that sometimes you're driving through life and it might be a wrong exit that you take. But if you can look around, there might be a big top off to the side. And, and if the conditions of your life are right and you're willing, you just might get on board. That's my story. You've been listening to True Story. Our theme music is from Daniel Steinbach's album, The Blade. To comment on this podcast or to listen to any of our previous stories, you can find us in iTunes or at truestorytime.org. Everyone, I hardly know you, but when something comes and grabs a hold, take the hands that open up a life that's led. Is something gold? I've been alone. I've been so. Long.